Freedom House. Happy Mother's Day. So glad to be with you guys today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Diana Henderson, and my husband and I get to be your campus pastors here at South End, as Brian Porter said, the best campus there is, right? Oh, yeah. Well, if you're new, we like to make sure that you know that we're one house with many rooms. So in addition to South End, we also have our Lake Norman campus. Our very own Pastor Penny is preaching up there today. We've got our central campus, and we've got Pastor Stephanie leading a Mother's Day panel up there today. And if you're ever traveling, you don't have to miss church because you can tune in. We live stream our services every weekend. Now, we do things differently. We have a teaching team. So every weekend, you have a live communicator up on every platform where we preach the word of God live. Pretty amazing, right? It's a vision of our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell. You saw Pastor Troy on the video with little Reese PC and Pastor Penny. Can we just give it up for them today? They are awesome. They don't ask us to do this, but we give honor where honor is due. Now, guys, it is Mother's Day. Where my mama's at? Yeah, mamas, jump up on your feet. Come on. Church, give it up for these mamas. We salute you. We honor you. We celebrate you today. So thankful for all that you do. If it weren't for you, mamas, we wouldn't be here. Right? For real. All right, you guys can have a seat. And happy Mother's Day to Pastor Penny as well. Hey, listen. Today, we are honoring the mothers of the house because y'all know I had to throw in a mama joke right there. We, we've got a buzz all about bees today. Maybe you're going, what is she talking about? Well, you might have seen the honeycombs. If you walked in, you probably got a little slice of honey. You might see some bees in our Salt Resource Center. We are talking about bees today, and I'm going to unpack why. But first, I want to just highlight that there's a parallel to the bees in Christianity. In fact, oftentimes people use the bee to reference Christians because of some of the Christ-like characteristics. The city of Ephesus, which is where Paul wrote the book of the Bible, Ephesians 2, they actually used the bee as their like monument for their city, and it was even minted on their coin. The bee has a symbolic reference to Jesus. Now, bees live in colonies, and in the bee, there's a queen, in the beehive, there's a queen bee. And the queen bee is the one who's in charge. The honey bees are the ones that produce the honey. And the queen bee is the one she reproduces and she leads. It's kind of like some of our households, right? The queen bee reproduces and she leads. Is that how it works in your household? <laughs> Have you ever heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Oh, yeah, that's the case. Well, bees, I think, are pretty fascinating. But what's interesting is they have this bifurcated reputation, don't they? If you think about it, either they're known for the sweetness of the honey that they produce, or they're known for the potency of their sting. Now, by a show of hands in here, when you think of a bee, how many of you first think of the honey? Okay, all right. Glass half full kind of people, yeah. 
All right, by a show of hands, how many of you, when you think of a bee, you think of the sting? Okay, all right. Glass half empty, people. It's kind of split here. And for those of you who didn't vote, you don't think at all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The honeybee has this bifurcated reputation. You either think of the honey or you think of the sting. You think of what they can do to you. Now, I like to characterize that in terms of uh, like a, a fear or a reverence. Think about fear. Fear is coming from a place of like threat or danger. That's the underlying emotion. Whereas reverence is a respect. It's an admiration. We either look at the bee with this notion of reverence where we honor the honey that it produces and we recognize the power and the authority of the sting. Or we run around at the sheer mention of the word bee and we're swatting our arms, running in fear. You know, a bee is often like a mama. There's a parallel to the mama in that respect. Either there's a fear associated with mama or there's a reverence associated with mama. Now, I know that many of us in here have a different experience with mama And I just want you to know that today, I believe that the Lord is going to minister to your heart. Whether your experience was good with mama, whether it was a reverent experience, or whether it was a tough experience, I believe that the Lord is going to minister to you. And listen, if you're not a mama in here, that's okay. Don't be tuning out because this applies to leadership as well. There's fear-based leadership. Think about some of the leaders in our history Or maybe even some of the leaders that you've experienced that were fear-based. There was control, manipulation, unhealthy environments. And then there's reverent leadership. Think about reverent leaders. Those are the ones that combine the honey and the sting. They operate with a place of encouragement, but also correction. They operate with love, but also In truth, they praise, but they also correct. Reverent leaders have the sting, but also the honey. You know, Jesus encouraged his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 16. He said to them, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. The honey and the sting. You see, Jesus knew that we would need to carry both soft heart and tough skin. Now, there's a parallel to the bee and a character in the Bible that I want to highlight and hone in on today, and her name is Deborah. Now, Deborah came from the Old Testament. She was a prophetess. She was a judge, and her name means honeybee. And we're going to talk all about Queen Bee Deborah today. Now, many of you are like, hold on a second. Doesn't Beyonce go by Queen Bee? Well, she does, but Deborah was the OG Queen Bee. She was the original gangster Queen Bee. And so we're going to talk today about how she led the Israelites in a revolt that brought them to their freedom from the Canaanites. Now, Deborah was a reverent leader. 
She operated with the sweetness of the honey, but also the potency of the sting. And we wanna, I want us to learn today three different things from her reverent leadership. I wanna encourage you, take notes, because note takers go to heaven. You can download the Freedom House app, or as I like to say, you can just write it on the forearm of your neighbor next to you. Three things of reverent leadership. Number one, you gotta know the times. As reverent leaders, you have to know the times. You see, in the beginning of Judges, where all this story takes place, the Israelites were basically wandering off from the call of God. And they did this time and time again. If you read through all the Old Testament, they'd follow God, and then they would go wayward, and they would be following pagan gods and idol worshiping. And in this point of time, they've gone off track. And God, being the good leader that he is, he allows them to suffer the consequences of their decisions. He's operating with a little bit of sting here. This is Judges chapter 4, verse 2. It says, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who, who reigned in South Park. Sisera, the commander of his army, he was based right here in South End. And because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So for 20 years, they are suffering under a fear-based ruler, a controlling environment, manipulation, isolation. Sound familiar? Have you seen some of this in maybe our government today trying to slip in? Fear-based ruler. And then in verse four, it says, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So here's Deborah, prophetess and judge. She's a godly woman. Now what's crazy is that she was only one of seven prophets listed in the history of the Israelites. In fact, the Jewish leaders say, that the historians say that she was one of the most influential women of all of their history. She was a mother of Israel. Now, what I think is really cool is that nowhere is it documented that she was an actual biological mother. It's not accounted for that she was a biological mother, but she sure was a spiritual mama. And I just want to encourage you in the house today, maybe you're not a biological mama, but can I just tell you, you've got a spiritual mama call on your life, and we need your voice, we need your word, so stay focused. Deborah gained renown on her own merit, independent of her relationship with a man. Now, I love it, though, because her, her bio, as you read the scripture, references that she's, or that she's wife to Lapidoth. Now, I gotta imagine that was her doing. How many of us in here, married women, have, I'm wifey to so-and-so on your Instagram profile? Yeah, she's like giving credit to her husband. Now, there's a phrase from Muhammad Ali. He says, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, 
And I think that very well could have come from Deborah's bio. So she's leading and judging the disputes. She's a modern-day Judge Judy. She's dealing with the issues and business deals gone sour of all the Israelites, and she's judging these disputes on a daily basis with the sweetness of honey, but also the sting of a bee. But she's burdened. Can you imagine? Like she's sitting in this state of 20 years of her people being oppressed. And she's feeling this burden going, uh-uh, not on my watch. You can imagine her stinger is revving. She's going, I'm not okay with what's going on. And you know what she does? She knows the times. She hears a word from God and she takes action. You know, as mamas, as leaders, we got to know the times. We got to know what's going on around us. And I'm not talking about just in the natural. We need to understand what's happening in the spiritual so that we can rise up as the leaders that God has called us to and go into action. What does it mean to know the times? Well, it's specific wisdom from God applied to specific decisions at specific moments. Specific wisdom from God, applied at specific decisions at specific moments in time. In other words, it's hearing from God and it's taking action. I think a lot of us today are asleep at the wheel. I think a lot of us today, like Jessica was saying, are sitting ducks. When there's stuff going on around us, we don't quite understand the times and God is saying, I need you to know the times. You know, in the Bible, Jesus rebukes the crowd. And I think it's Matthew 12. He says to them, listen, you might see what's happening with the weather. And you can say that a wind that's coming in from the west is going to cause for rain. And you might be right. And he says, and you might understand that when a south wind blows in, that it's going to be hot. You can read the weather, but you don't understand the times. We've got to know the times and what's happening around us. I don't know about you, but my stinger is revving right now when I see the evil agenda coming after our babies. There's a gender attack. There's an attack on the identity of our future generation. Are we understanding the times today? Do we see what's happening and are we taking action? Reverent leaders understand the times. You know, I remember I was working in the marketplace under the CEO at one point, and I was praying over our budget because that was my job to lead sales. And we had forecasted about a 10% growth for that year, year year-on-year growth. And my CEO calls me one day and he said, listen, Diana, I've been watching the market and I think we need to brace ourselves for a hit. I think we need to scale back the budget. And I looked at him and I said, no, sir. And he was like, excuse me? I said, with all due respect, I have been praying my face off over our budget. And I feel like the Lord is telling me that our business is going to skyrocket. So if I pull back on the budget, I'm doing the exact opposite of what I'm praying and believing for and what God has told me. My CEO looked at me and was like, you're crazy. But can I tell you, three months later, our budget, our revenue started to skyrocket. And we wrapped up that year with a 20% year-on-year growth. 
This is a practical example, guys, but we have to know the times. As leaders, every single one of us in here, I don't care what your role is, we all need to understand the times. Are you tracking with me? Reverent leaders understand the times. Number two, we've got to know our role. As reverent leaders, we have to know our role. You know, Deborah discerns the times. And she hears from God and she understands that there's a battle ensuing, that it's time to go to war. And she hears and she takes action. The scripture doesn't say that she wavers. It doesn't say that she vacillates. It doesn't say that she calls a friend and is like, hey, what do you think I should do here? No, she goes into action. In Judges chapter four, verse six, it says she sent for Barak son of Abinom from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Go, take with you 10,000 men, everybody say 10,000, 10, of Naphtali and Zebulon and leave, lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, we're going to get to what's happening here in just a moment, but I first want to highlight that Deborah knew her role. And Deborah had lots of roles. She wore many different hats, as we like to say today, just like all of us in here. Some of us wear the hat of mama. Some of us wear the hat of daddy, of CEO, of stay-at-home mom, of PTA leader, of social circle coordinator. We all wear different hats, don't we? I'd love to hear all the hats that you guys wear. You'll have to share with me on breaks because I'm sure it's something I haven't thought of. We all wear different hats. But it's important that we understand and acknowledge what we need in order to fulfill those specific roles. It's important that we understand that. You know, I remember when I first had babies, I would come home from work and I would just, you know, there wasn't really a transition from being at work to coming home and leading in the household. And one day, my husband gave me some feedback. He said, hey, babe. Whenever he says that, I'm like, oh, here we go. He's like, uh, you're being boss in our home. And we need you to be mom and wife. So I did something really practical, because I'm a practical kind of person. I would pull into the garage I would shut the door, go up the stairs, and I would pause before I crossed the threshold walking into my house, and I would take off the figurative boss hat, and I would put on the figurative mom and wife hat so that when I walked in the door, I could be loving mom, I could be supportive wife, and I didn't have to be in decision-making, charge-the-hill capacity We've got to know what our role is calling for. Now, Deborah wore multiple hats, and I want to talk about a couple of her roles because she demonstrated how to operate in these roles really well. The first role she played was wife. It says that she was wife to Lapidoth, but we don't know much about Lapidoth in the scripture. It's literally all it says about him. But you know what we do know is that his name in the Hebrew meant torch, and a torch in those times was used as a resource for light. So what was Deborah doing? She was leading under 
the covering of the light that he provided. So he was the light and she was the leader underneath of that light. You see what I'm saying there? It's important that as leaders we understand whose covering we're under. There's a great example of this in the New Testament. The centurion who was a military leader. His, his servant had fallen ill. And he hears that Jesus is in town. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know that you're capable. If you're willing, will you come heal my servant? And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm coming right now. But then the, the centurion responds to him. In Matthew 8, verse 8, he says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word. My servant will be healed. And then he says something really powerful. For I myself am a man under authority. Turn to your neighbor and say, under authority. Then he goes on to say, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see what the centurion is demonstrating? He was a leader of at least 100 people. But he first said that he was under authority. You see, reverent leaders are submitted. Reverent leaders are submitted. Now, I know that's like such a faux pas word today. To say submission is like, ah. Well, let me just break down the word for you. Submission, the word sub means under. And mission is the mission of God called by your leader. So when you are submitted, you are under the mission of your leader. Wives. We are called to be under the mission of our husbands. We're called to be submitted to husbands. That doesn't mean that you can't be leading, but you need to be under the leadership of your husband. Now, if you're in here today and your husband is not walking in the call of God on his life, I got three Ps for you. You need to petition, pray, and prophesy. Petition heaven that God will shift and change his heart. You need to be praying your face off that God will show you what your role is in that. And then lastly, prophesy. Speak over your husband. Speak life into him. Call him out as the leader that you know God has designed him to be. Reverent leaders are submitted. The second role that Deborah demonstrates for us, the scripture says that she held court in the palm of Deborah. And it was in between Ramah and Bethel. Well, look up those words in the Hebrew. Ramah means lofty and deceit. Bethel means holy. So here's Deborah. She's standing in the gap between lofty and holy, and she is leading people there. Reverent leaders stand in the gap. There's going to be times where you've got somebody who's in a place of hopelessness and you are standing in the gap, extending your faith to believe that a miracle is going to come about for the person that you're believing for. Leaders stand in the gap. Sometimes you're going to be facing a situation with somebody where the medical doctors say that the situation is grim and you are standing in the gap to believe that we serve a healing God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Reverent leaders stand in the gap. The last hat that Deborah uh, models for us, the last role, she was prophetess and judge. 
right? And she gets a call from God who says, hey, it's time for war. You know what she doesn't do? She doesn't go suit up in armor and charge the hill. No, she calls Barak, who's the commander of the army, because she knew her role. Her role was not to lead the army. Her, her role was to, to give the word to Barak. Reverent leaders understand their position. Her position was judge and prophetess. The purpose was the battle. Good leaders, reverent leaders, understand position over purpose. You know, there was a time when I felt like the Lord was calling me to give a word to a body of people. But I felt like an unrest in that situation. I knew what the word was, and I knew that the Lord gave it to me, but I sensed a hesitation that it wasn't supposed to be me that gave it. And I looked at my husband, and I said, did you feel that? And he immediately took off, running, grabbed a microphone, and shared the word with a group of people. And that's when I was like, oh, that's what that was. You see, I had a role in that, but my purpose was not to deliver the word. Does that make sense? We have to understand our position over the purpose. Number three, last one. Reverent leaders, know your influence. Know your influence. You see, Deborah knew the times. She knew that she was facing wartime. And she goes to Barack and she tells him, hey, it's time to suit up. But she gives him really specific instruction, doesn't she? She tells him to raise up 10,000 people, 10,000 men. Why 10,000? Well, Sisera had 900 chariots that were fitted with iron. I did some research to understand how many soldiers were likely accompanying those 900 chariots. It was 40,000. Can you imagine? Brock's probably like, oh, snap. 10,000 against 40,000? Like, is that going to be enough? Well, guess what? In God's kingdom, absolutely. She also tells him, raise up 10,000 men. Does she say 10,000 women? Does she say 10,000 children? No, I think she was intentional because she understood that a man was best poised to be on the battlefield. You see, gender matters, my friends, doesn't it? Gender is intentional in God's design. She says, you go up to Mount Tabor, and I'm going to lead Sisera into your hands. The story goes on, and Deborah says, or Barak looks at her, and he says, in Judges 4, verse 9, he says, or excuse me, verse 8, he says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Can you imagine Deborah had an opportunity to be a fear-based leader in this moment. She could have shamed him, couldn't she? You're a man. You're the leader of this army. What do you mean you want me, a woman, to go with you? She could have taken a fear-based approach. But Deborah understood the power of her influence. And instead, she takes a reverent approach. And she says to him in verse 9, Certainly, I will go with you. 
but because of the course you are taking. In other words, I need you to understand the consequence of your action because reverent leaders operate with honey, but also with a sting. She's speaking truth. She's doing it in love. The honor will not be yours for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. The honey and the sting. The reverent leader, Deborah, was gracious to go along with her people and accompany them in the battle that stood before them. Now, oftentimes people refer to Barak as a pansy and they're like, oh my goodness, that man wouldn't go to battle without that woman. But you know, I don't think he was a pansy. I think he was a smart man. I think he recognized the influence and call on Deborah's life. I think she was, he was operating like Elisha did with Elijah saying, listen, I want a double portion of what you got. I'm going to battle, but I'm not doing it without your influence and the anointing on your life. I think Barak recognized that and he wanted it in action with him. The story goes on. Deborah encourages him one time, you're called to this Barak. It's time for battle. And so he goes forward and she leads the enemy army down into the valley. Now the chariots, the 900 iron fitted chariots were what the Israelites were so fearful of. Remember in the story, the 900 chariots, but something happens. The scripture doesn't say exactly what, but those chariots were stalled. I like to say that they got stuck in the mud and the 40,000 soldiers had to depart from those chariots and now they're on foot. And so Barak and his 10,000 men defeat them, annihilate all, every single one of them with the exception of one, Sisera, the leader of the enemy army. And he takes off running. And he's, he's running for his life. And he comes upon a woman by the name of J.L., the tent maker. An everyday average mama standing by her tent doing her duties. And she says, hey, Sisera, you must be tired. Come on in. He's like, ah, I just need a drink of water. And she's like, I can do you one better. How about some warm milk? She's luring him in with the sweetness of the honey. She says, lay down, go to sleep. He falls asleep and she takes the resources that she has in her hand, a tent peg and a hammer. Now it gets a little bit vulgar here. She takes this tent peg and she drives it through his temple and she kills the leader of the enemy army, a woman. An everyday, average woman, a tent maker. She was the one that defeated the enemy. Now, what I love about this story is Deborah had influence. Remember, reverent leaders have influence, but not just Barak, who she directly said, hey, it's time to go to battle. She also influenced Jael. 
Now the scripture doesn't say that Deborah and JL even knew each other, but I believe that the influence of her reverent leadership was so powerful that JL caught wind of it and she's like, I can do it too. Deborah's name meant honeybee. You know what JL's name means? Goat. The greatest of all time. JL goes down in history. A woman, a mama, a stay-at-home mom, everyday woman defeats the enemy. Pretty amazing. All because of Deborah's leadership. Who are you influencing today? There might be somebody directly in your sphere of influence that you're speaking into, that you're encouraging, that you're calling higher. But who? is around, indirectly, might be watching you, might be observing, might be saying, if they go, I will go. If they rise up, I will rise up. Listen, we are being called today as leaders to rise up. We gotta know the times. We have to know our role and we have to know our influence because there's a kingdom of heaven to be had. There's a pit of hell to defeat. Will you guys stand to your feet? And I just wanna take a moment because I feel like God is speaking to each one of us today and he's doing so in a different way. So if you'll just close your eyes, just listen for the voice of God. Cause I think right now he's saying, listen, you're in here today. And you might be feeling like, you know, I haven't been paying attention to the times. I haven't been listening to the season of what God is calling me to do. And if that's you in here, I'm not gonna shame you, quite the opposite. I wanna call out the Deborah in you. If that's you, will you just lift your hand right where you are so I can pray for you? Thank you, I see your hands. Maybe you're in here today and you believe that there's a call of God on your life, but you're not quite sure what your role is. You're like, I feel the stinger revving. I feel an urgency, but I'm not sure what my role is. I want you to lift your hand right now to say, God, I wanna understand what my role is. Show me, God, what my role is. I see your hands all across the room, all across the room. And maybe you're in here today and you know God has called you to influence, but you've not been operating in that influence. You've been sitting on the sideline and God is saying, listen, I'm calling you Deborah. I'm calling you Barack to lead, to lead from a mighty place of victory today. If that's you, just lift your hands right where you are. That's you saying, God, I'm ready to use my influence for your kingdom. Thank you, hands up, hands up all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for modeling reverent leadership each and every day. God, I pray right now for your voice to speak so distinctly and clearly to each hand that's been raised. Father, I pray that you speak to us in knowing the times to understand what you are doing spiritually because this battle is real and we need a battle strategy from none other than the victor himself. Father, I pray right now over those who are trying to understand what their role is. God, I pray that you speak to them right now. Show them what that looks like. Equip them with the tools and the battle plan to go into action. And God, I just declare an influence like never before over the hearts 
in this house today. Father, I pray that you rev their engines, that you prepare their stinger to go into the battle that you're calling us to each and every day. Father, we thank you for it. You are good in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now listen, listen, there's some people in here Maybe you've not yet made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. And I want you to understand that the very first step in the battle is to know your Savior. Because you can't go to the battlefield without first knowing Jesus. And if you're in here today and you've not yet made him Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know that he died on the cross for you. He paid a price, a death toll for you. And he's saying right now, listen, I want to walk with you in everything you do. If that's you and you'd like to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, will you just lift your hand right now so we can pray and celebrate over you? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's give it up. Thank you, Jesus. Church, let's sign, seal, and deliver this together. I'm gonna pray. If you'll just repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to die on the cross. Thank you that he rose again. Thank you that he forgives me of all of my sins. Thank you that he's my savior from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen.